All right, we are back. I do have to note with some sadness in this section of the show, we usually devote to obituaries, the passing of the legendary Stan Freeberg. The New York Times said Stan Freeberg was a madcap ad man and satirist. We're enormously pleased that um, we had the good sense to take the time some months back to travel down to Los Angeles for an event featuring and celebrating Stan Freeberg. The only blog we regularly rely upon from this program, News From Me by Mark Evanier, was the source for our knowing this event was taking place. We hope to get Mark Evanier on this program again to talk about his efforts, which were instrumental in making that event come off. So we're going we're to want to do that one right and spend some time on it, but I do have to note today that the obituary did refer to some of the high points in his career, including the commercial he did for Chung King, which had an announcer in tone that nine out of ten doctors preferred Chung King. The camera then panned to show one Caucasian and nine Chinese doctors. Said Mark Evanier, when he got into advertising, he brought the concept of entertaining commercial to a whole new level. For a long time in this country, if you laughed at a TV or radio ad, it was either created by Stan Freeberg or by an advertising agency that was consciously trying to imitate Stan Freeberg. Knowing the tendency for advertisers to meddle with the product that they contracted for, Freeberg had a clause inserted into his contracts that said, the decision as to what's funny and what is not funny shall rest solely with Mr. Freeberg. And while we have lost a genius of comedy and comedic advertising, it's nice to know that his work will live on. Now, we simply have to spend some of the time we have left in, in, in going through some of the details of this uh, so-called effort by our governor to uh, deal with our drought. As we mentioned at the top of the program with our quote of the day, Brown said last week on ABC's This Week, some people have a right to more water than others. And by that he meant the people who already get 80 to 90% of California's water, meaning agriculture. Writing about this uh, fiasco, Dan Walters' column in the Sacramento Bee noted that uh, Brown is now a champion for farmers. Noting that in imposing mandatory cutbacks on water last week, the governor had exempted farmers, generating sharp criticism, especially from Brown's usual allies in the environmental movement. Pressed by ABC's Martha Raddatz about um, the unequal distribution of water to agriculture, Brown said, Yeah, you bet it's true. By the way, they're not watering their lawns or taking longer showers. They're providing most of the fruits and vegetables to America. Walters notes that what made Brown stout defense of California's farmers a little odd is that, as the old saying goes, they have a history mostly of conflict. Back in the 80s, during his first incarnation as governor, Brown tried to ramrod the peripheral canal down California's throat. It was soundly defeated by an odd coalition of environmentalists and some of the biggest, thirstiest farm water users in the San Joaquin Valley who thought the peripheral canal might deny them some of the water they felt they were entitled to. Thus, they bankrolled some of the efforts to defeat it. And as chronicled on this program, Brown is back now with his peripheral canal, which plans to suck the Delta dry pretty much. We noticed that hasn't been talk of that too much lately. We're going to do our best on this program to bring Mark Hertzgard back on the show. We talked to him about his book, Hot, Living Through the Next 50 Years. It's now out in paperback, so I imagine he will be on the lecture circuit. He wrote a wonderful article about all of this titled, How Growers Gamed California's Drought. Subtitle of the piece was, Consuming 80% of California's developed water but accounting for 2% of the state's GDP, agriculture thrives while everyone else is parched. The piece starts off noting, 
Pistachio farmer John Dean, at a conference hosted by Paramount Farms, the mega operation owned by Stuart Resnick, a Beverly Hills billionaire known for his sprawling agricultural holdings, also his controversial water dealings and millions of dollars in campaign contributions to high-powered California politicians, including Governor Brown and former Governors Schwarzenegger and Gray Davis, and also U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. Pistachio farmer Dean said, I've been smiling all the way to the bank at that conference. Noted Hertzgard, some large-scale farmers are enjoying extraordinary profits despite the drought, thanks in part to infusions of what experts call dangerously underpriced water. Stuart Resnick, whose le- legendary marketing flair included hiring Stephen Colbert to star in a 2014 Super Bowl commercial pitching pistachios, told the conference that pistachios generated an average net return of $3,500 per acre last year based on a record wholesale price of three fifty-three a pound. And yes, during this water crisis, it looks as though they're going to continue to plant more almonds as they continue to build more homes. Said Hertzgard, recent headlines warn that state regulators have ordered restaurants to serve water only if customers explicitly request it, and they directed homeowners to water lawns no more than twice a week. The San Jose Mercury News has pointed out that these restrictions carry no enforcement mechanisms. But of course, what makes them a sideshow is the simple math. During a historic drought, surely the sector that's responsible for 80% of California's water consumption, agriculture, should be the main focus of public attention and policy. Hertzgard goes on. The other great unmentionable of California's water crisis is that water is still priced more cheaply than it should be, which encourages overconsumption. One reason? Much of the state's water is provided by federal and state agencies at prices that taxpayers subsidize. A second factor that encourages waste is a use-it-or-lose-it feature in California's arcane system of water rights. Under current rules, if a property owner does not use all the water to which he's legally entitled, well, then it may in turn get allocated to the next farmer in line. He goes on, lawmakers have begun gingerly to reform the water system, but experts say that much remains to be done, which is probably the understatement of the piece. For years, California was the only state in the arid West that sets no limits on how much groundwater a property owner can extract from a private well. Thus, nearly everyone and their neighbors in the Central Valley have been drilling deeper and deeper wells in recent years, seeking to offset reductions in state and federal water deliveries. This agricultural version of an arms race not only favors big corporate enterprises over smaller farmers, it threatens to collapse the aquifers whose groundwater is keeping California alive during this drought and will be needed to endure future droughts. Last fall, the legislature passed, and Governor Brown signed, a bill to regulate groundwater extraction. But the political touchiness of the issue, agricultural interests lobbied hard against it, resulted in a leisurely implementation timetable. Although communities must complete plans for sustainable water management by 2020, not until 2040 must sustainability actually be achieved. Notes Hertzgard, the Central Valley could be a dust bowl by then under current conditions. He notes later in the piece, aquifers can be replenished if rainwater and snowmelt are allowed to sink into the ground and humans don't keep raiding the supply. The process may take decades, however, and extended relief from further drought. And we get at the truth of some of this in a piece from Sacramento Bee by David Siders and Jeremy B. White titled Growers Largely Spared in New Water Restrictions. The piece quotes John Carter, manager of the Yellowstone to Unitas Connection, a, cons- a conservation group based in Paris, Idaho, who said that California should be further restricting water use on agricultural land, especially for crops used to feed animals. Carter said, we know why they've been exempted. They have political power, and they've been there a long time. 
And unfortunately, the National Resources Defense Council, which is described by one of our water consultants, Dan Bacher, as a greenwashing operation, and their spokesperson, Claire O'Connor, said, the components of Brown's executive orders are pretty significant for agriculture despite the lack of mandatory reduction order. She said, this is a good first step. Sending a more common sense note in the B was a letter to the editor by Greg Johnson from Antelope. Wrote, regarding Brown defends ag's use of water, page A4, April 6th. Governor Jerry Brown said California's farmers are providing most of the fruits and vegetables of America. Therefore, they're not subject to the newest round of water restrictions. Would someone please tell me if the water-guzzling farmers export most of their crops of rice, pistachio, and almonds? How is that providing food for America? Said Johnson, we need a person who will take this drought seriously and will forget where their political contributions come from. Maybe during the next drought we'll find one. And wrote H. David Knepschiel from Carmichael. Nowhere have I seen or read a recent question about the $40 billion Delta Tunnels project that Governor Jerry Brown has proposed. If climate change is affecting our ability to receive and store rain and snowfall, how will tunnels help us move water that isn't there? And on the same page, writing from Rio Linda, a Sherry Balefrier, she said, I live in a water district that states it has a no-leak policy, but the water district has a leak that it refuses to repair. I reported the leak on December 3rd. This was written last week. And I have asked every state agency for help repeatedly. I had to install a sump pump in my crawl space and three other pumps around my property to save the foundation of my house. I pumped water to the gutter every day for weeks, even through the driest January on record. Even though I'm no fan of big government, I find it shocking that California does not have strict regulations and oversight of all water districts. And writing about this same travesty in the Chronicle was Peter Navarro, business professor from UC Irvine, who wrote, Governor Jerry Brown's executive order to cope with California's historic drought is, like normal rainfall in the state, long overdue. Regrettably, it won't get the job done. The broad target is a 25% reduction in urban water use. With agricultural using about 80% of the state's developed water, the best case is a mere 5% cut. Totally inadequate in an era of climate change. As for mandating cities to collectively cut their use, the target is based on 2013 usage levels and thereby correctly rewarding localities that have engaged in voluntary reductions since that time. However, many California cities have been aggressively pursuing water conservation for more than a decade. This is hardly their first rodeo, and those communities will suffer disproportionately. The poster child here? San Diego County's uber-wealthy Rancho Santa Fe, which racks up a water usage of close to 600 gallons per day. This compares compares to around 90 gallons for Los Angeles and a mere 46 gallons for San Francisco. It would be far more cost-effective and fair to cut water use in these water-guzzling communities by 50% or more than to force already water-conscious Santa Cruzans or San Franciscans down a few more gallons per day. And we should do a few stats. Quoting from a piece by Guy Saperstein in Alternet, The media is filled with recommendations about how to save water. Switch to dry landscaping. Don't run water when you're shaving or brushing your teeth. Install low-flow shower heads and don't wash your car. All these ideas would help, but much less than people think. When I ask folks to guess how much personal contribution accounts for water usage in California, people guess 20 to 40 percent, which sounds reasonable. There are 38 million people in California. But Saperstein cites a 2012 report by the Pacific Institute that only 4% of California's water use is by individuals. 
He notes, drive down Interstate 5 in the middle of summer in 100-plus degree weather, and you'll see huge sprinklers spraying water in the middle of the day and fields being flooded in the process, using huge amounts of water to evaporation. California also concentrates on growing the thirstiest foods derived from animals, mainly beef, dairy, and eggs. One pound of animal protein requires 100 times more water than one gallon of grain protein. One pound of beef requires 2,500 gallons of water. Saperstein notes that most people shower once a day using an average of 14 gallons of water. He notes you could save more water by reducing your beef intake by a total of one pound than by not showering for six months. He also notes in the piece that Democrats in California get most of the big ag money because Democrats have delivered the water for big ag. Jerry Brown's father, Pat, delivered the California Water Project in 1959, and, and Jerry supported the Peripheral Canal 30 years ago. Notes that the aforementioned Stuart Resnick, the ag business tycoon who owns 115,000 acres of farmland in Kern County, has funneled $4 million to politicians, mostly Democrats. He closes the piece by saying, there's a saying, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. Unfortunately, to date, the fight has been about moving water from north to south at public expense. Missing in the fight is any serious discussion about how California agribusiness could stop wasting California's water. As we go forward into more years of potential drought, California needs to change the conversation. We need to reassess the blame and point fingers at the real users and abusers of California's water. And by the way, in keeping with all of this, Radio Parallax went out and did a little math on almonds. As reported on the show some weeks back, almonds use 10% of California's water. And to grow a single almond, and to grow a single almond, you need 1.1 gallons. So I went out and bought one of those little blue diamond cans, you know, one can a week is all we ask, and counted it up. There's 182 almonds in such a can. Works, works out to almost exactly 200 gallons of water. Now, if you take a bath by filling your bathtub a third of the way up, you're going to, quote, waste, unquote, about 25 gallons of water, perhaps 30, which is 10 to 15 gallons less than you would waste by showering. So it turns out one can of almonds, six to eight baths. And when it comes to not drinking a tumbler full of water in a restaurant, well, you could forsake that, and your neighbors could forsake that. And if enough people forego that glass of water, in fact, about 3,600 people, then you'll equal one can of almonds. Does that put it in perspective, dear listener? Well, I hope so, because that's all the perspective we have today, because that's all the time we have today. Our thanks to Joe Rubin for joining us in segment two. I can confidently predict he will be back. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.